UC Santa Barbara students and faculty return to full in-person instruction today, January 31st, for the first time in 2022. But not everyone feels the same way about the decision to return. UCSB began the first two weeks of the winter quarter starting on January 3rd online due to uncertainties around the Omicron variant. The quarter was originally set to resume in person for week three on Tuesday, January 18th, but in a January 8th message to students, Chancellor Yang announced that remote instruction would be allowed for two additional weeks, week three and four of the winter quarter. Notably, UCSB was the only UC school to leave the decision of whether to return during this period to individual instructors, rather than mandating one way or another that instructors hold classes online or in person. Instructors who opted for in-person classes were instructed to give students who chose to remain off-campus reasonable opportunities to participate remotely. Chancellor Yang confirmed that classes would return for full in-person instruction on January 31st in a message to the campus community sent on January 21st. However, members of the UC Santa Barbara Faculty Association, an independent faculty advocacy organization comprised of academic Senate members, vocalized concerns during the week prior to the scheduled return. The Faculty Association, or SBFA for short, released a letter on January 25th outlining concerns over lingering dangers and inadequate classroom equipment and technological support to do their jobs safely and effectively. The letter calls for, quote, caution and clarifications on policy and nuanced flexibility on pandemic protocols, end quote. SBFA members say the letter was crafted after consultation with campus leadership and the faculty senate. Current Senate policy requires that online instruction can be offered in an in-person course for up to 50% of the scheduled instruction time, when adjusted for pedagogical reasons, without need for further Senate approval, according to the Academic Senate website. Individual concerns about minimizing exposure that lack a medical justification are not a reason to change the mode of instruction, the website says. Instructors who are at increased risk of severe illness from COVID because of an underlying medical condition or disability may request reasonable accommodations via the Campus Workplace Accommodation Specialist in Human Resources. However, the SBFA letter asks for more transparency and flexibility, requesting that individual instructors be able to exercise their judgment to continue with online instruction until at least February 14th without having to request a formal health exemption. I sat down with SBFA co-chairs Ben Olguin and Eileen Boris, as well as Treasurer Harold Marcuse, to learn more about the requests and experiences of UCSB faculty. Olguin, SBFA co-chair and a faculty member in the English department, began by explaining some of the factors that motivated SBFA members to write the letter. What uh, we were hearing from faculty, from teaching assistants, from students, uh, really started to come up against and even uh, challenge some of the information that we've been getting. Some of it's anecdotal, of course, but that matters as well. So we had to do is ask questions. And that's what, what, what we as educators were all about, right? We ask questions and we, we ask for clarifications. There are never really easy answers to anything, mm-hmm. but we had to weigh in. And some of the things that motivated us Uh, include hearing from our teaching assistants and our students in our own courses. For instance, in my, uh, one of my courses, I have one 
of three teaching assistants is in quarantine right now. Her child was exposed in school now the second time. So their whole family has to go in quarantine. I have another teaching assistant who can't teach in person because of a partner who is immunocompromised. I have about 25 of 150 students who, for one reason or another, that range from really serious critical illnesses, chronic serious illnesses, cannot go to in-live class sessions. And in a vote, again, in a course of 150, four-fifths of the students do not want to return to in-live sessions. So, it, it, you know, we're hearing all these things. These things start to, to add more qualitative, complicated portrait and details of the, of the situation. So what we really wanted to accomplish was simply to ask for more clarification, more information, ensure that all the technology is, is up to date so that we can fulfill what we have been asked to do dur during this period of transition to, to in-person teaching. So, you know, it, it, a lot of people are scared. A lot of people are confused. We get conflicting information and we're not talking about, you know, right-wing disinformation, conspiracy theorist people, you know, various media. This is, you know, the government sources. This is university sources. This, this is uh, local government sources as well and, and medical establishment releasing information. So there's just a lot of confusion. And again, our message was moderated. It really didn't make demands. It asked for clarifications and it asked for consideration to slow down a little bit, give us some flexibility. My hope is that the university will not be punitive because there are very many people who simply cannot return. They might die. It's that simple, especially those who are critically ill or, or highly vulnerable populations. Marcus, a professor of German history at UCSB, said the Faculty Association held a meeting on Monday where concerns were discussed at length. He explained that the decision to put forth the letter wasn't unanimous, as the association represents 200 due-paying members. A number of our members felt very, very strongly that the rollout was not being done well, that it is not safe to return to the classroom, and wanted us to make a statement and get the Senate policies, the COVID task force policies modified to accommodate those concerns. What we ultimately decided to do is, is craft this letter and make very specific, I don't know if I call them demands, but really tweaks to some of the reopening decisions that had been made. We weren't unanimous and just coming up with a policy that was constructive wasn't an easy task mm -hmm. to say exactly what should you do instead of just saying what you're doing isn't optimal or ideal. Right. So that's sort of as background. So it's not a unanimous opinion, but we felt we wanted to represent the, the, the very valid concerns that many of our members have. SBFA co-chair and feminist studies professor Eileen Boris said the issue of transparency is a major point of concern for association members. She outlined some of the difficulties her students are facing. Students don't even have the same information that we as faculty have. And we as faculty lack uh, a lot of information. We're, we're told, trust us, we're experts, we have these numbers, we're doing 
we're working with these um, studies and we just need more information and more transparency of how decisions are being made. And the students need that as well. While I'm only teaching a, a small honors workshop this quarter, my uh, partner is teaching another one of those 150 person classes. And they did a survey and a quarter of the students felt immune compromised or for some reason couldn't go back. Half the students said they would go back if they had to, but really didn't want to. And a quarter were gung-ho to go back. So I that is reinforcing, and this was in history, not in English, an upper level class. And that's reinforcing the same kind of split. Certainly among my small sample of undergraduate students, there are some that are, were still as of the beginning of last week, uh, week home because their roommates, like one said, and this is for anecdotal, her roommate works in Target. Everybody was sick. She's been exposed. She's not sick yet. And my student didn't want to go back to her apartment because her roommate, and that and just remind her, because her roommate might have to quarantine at any moment. And it just reminds us of our experiences with, we live, UCSB may have had very little transmission on campus, but everybody lives in communities, in this community where the transmission rate is very high. You go to a grocery store, you're waiting 20 minutes in line because there's not enough ca cashiers. People are out sick. That just reminds me that the university is embedded within the Santa Barbara community. We're impacted by the number of cases that are happening elsewhere. So that's, that's a real concern. Instructors, we work on salary. But there are many lecturers and particularly the teaching assistants who have a labor contract. And when the university asks us to do uh, dual instruction or uh, give uh, courses that are both hybrid and hybrid courses, both remote and uh, in-person and double teach sometimes, that's not taking into account the labor contracts of though that aspect of the instructors. That's something to consider. It's easy. Yes, I can say, yes, I will you know, do double. But not everyone has the luxury to do that. And if they're not being paid for that extra work, then uh, that is going against, the, that's an unfair labor practice. And the TAs are going into bargaining, the UAW local, as we know from the COLA movement of uh, the winter of 2020 that petered out because of the pandemic. They don't earn enough to live here. And of course their working conditions are our students' learning conditions. Marcuse agreed, saying that the hybrid option is often pointed to as a middle ground, but tends to place a much greater burden on instructors. I don't know to what extent students realize how much more work dual mode instruction is, that is 
offering both a fully in-person and a fully online course at the same time. Students may think, I don't know if it's true, that, oh, you just record your lectures, post them on Gaucho Space, and it, that's it. There's a lot of prep work and just recording and conversion of videos, thinking through how one's lecture is going to appear, if it's only the in-classroom uh, panopto recording of the screen, making sure the mic works, that all the technology is aligned. Um, it's often, especially for uh, more or less experienced instructors, just getting the lectures ready and being confident on stage is hard enough without having to make sure all the technology lines up right, all the programs are loaded, that they're actually recording. We have to wear masks as well. Um, there are just so many additional hurdles uh, for faculty to offering the dual mode instruction that is a lot more work, and especially for TAs and um, and the lecturers we hire from the outside, it's just all uncompensated. We're just asking them to do a lot more for wages that are already very, very low. So that isn't really a viable option for us, although that is, you know, I can understand from a student perspective, that might be very, very attractive. Yeah. It's just really hard for us to implement and very unfair to ask some of our instructors to implement. Olguin went on to outline several of the practical concerns that faculty members proposed, such as how to create reasonable accommodations for TAs and students. Anyone who did not attend an in-person class session is going to have a different qualitative experience. I suppose the professor could restate the question. That is one option, but there's still the question of us speaking with masks to a recorder. So there are, there are those dimensions that do come up. And again, in regards to, to teaching assistants, some of them are in classrooms that don't have a console. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're faced with the option of one holding a person class session and then going home and doing the exact same thing without the student comments. So that's already a qualitatively different experience in addition to being double labor that violates the contract that we have all signed prior to each class session and that the union signed in, in broader terms with, with, with more specific time and, and workload details. Ultimately, Olguin said the SBFA is proposing more accommodation. What are we ultimately proposing? Just flexibility and no punitive action. More information and the investment in all the all the all the personal protective equipment that we all need. Free masks, free testing, and, and enough uh, testing so that you don't have lines snaking around, you know, the block, you know, which becomes then a super spur event or potentially one. So that's really what we're doing. We're asking for information. We're asking for consideration. We're being responsible to our constituency, but, and that's not just our membership, that is everyone. I asked the SBFA board members how they felt about UCSB being the only UC school to give individual instructors the choice whether to go back into the classroom for weeks three and four, rather than making a campus-wide decision of fully remote or fully in-person. We did have some range of opinion on this issue that oh, some yeah. of us thought that the mitigation protocols and our personal or the personal risk of some instructors as well as their devotion to teaching, let me say, as a faculty member or their, their feeling that remote instruction is really not nearly as 
effective as in-person teaching that those instructors should be able to offer their students the quality that they want to deliver if they're also willing to accommodate those students who could not make it to the classroom for whatever reason. So basically, if they were willing to take the burden we discussed earlier of the dual mode instruction on themselves to record those lectures and make sure that the, you know, whatever additional interactions in the classroom were taking place, that those somehow get summarized for the, the remote students, that that would be a viable option. So there were faculty who were very grateful for that flexibility and who did indeed return to the classroom and self-exploited to, to do the dual mode instruction. Large courses with many teaching assistants had, had problems. Uh, we know from uh, one instructor on our board uh, that he gave his, he basically took over his uh, in-person uh, discussion sections and had the TAs do other tasks during those two weeks. So again, it's a kind of self-exploitation. It's a lot more work on a faculty member's part, but um, for people who really want to make sure that their course material is delivered in the you know, most optimal format in their eyes, if they're willing to do that, uh, you know, having that, that flexibility um, was a good thing for them. It, it's really just very hard to balance the two extremes, the people who gauge their personal risk and the overall risk is very low and the people whose personal risk is high and gauge that the overall risk is still very high. So um, there was an interesting poll that uh, came out just a couple of days ago that showed that people who think the risk is low, I'm not gonna be able to summarize it, but sort of the Republican position like we don't need to wear masks and stuff. They think the risk is low and the people who are indeed protecting themselves quite a bit from COVID perceive the risk to be higher, even though they are taking more precautions. So it kind of, it, it empties the middle and, and moves people towards the extreme. So it, it's as a, you know, responsible administrator making policy, it's very, very hard to get a policy that's in the middle between two extremes. The SBFA letter also points out the potential educational disruption of returning to in-person teaching midway through the winter 2022 quarter, a time where midterms are taking place for many classes. Boris said that it's when classes originally intended to be in-person are thrown online last minute, rather than planned originally to be online, that education quality may suffer. It is when you have to, when you're all geared up to teach an in-person course, and at the last minute, you just, you know, give your lectures uh, remotely. That is when learning, I think, suffers. When you design a course for remote delivery, uh, it can do many more uh, things. It's, uh, many of us were very skeptical about remote learning. Uh, but when I took that Citro course, I rethought uh, one of my you know, bigger person lecture courses. And I think I gave a really good course, even though some students had broadband problems and uh, all sorts of issues in fall of 2020. So it's really the emergency, the quick changeovers, and our lack of many instructors, lack of training, because we've been taught to, to educate in a certain way. 
And uh, so that's important to understand too. Uh, and that's why some, some of us are less uh, skeptical about the possibilities of good education through hybrid models, you know, putting the, um, the uh, exploitation question aside than others because we've been trained in, in uh, at least uh, giving a good course that is a different course, but a, but a worthy one. Just the uncertainty has a deleterious effect, a negative effect on the class, not knowing, will I be in class next week or not? We already changed after the first two weeks and extended it another two. And we were thinking, okay, how do you balance making another change with a week's notice that faculty can do it? We've already announced that faculty have been making plans. Some are unsure. So one of the things we really wanted to stress in that letter was, please give faculty the flexibility. Don't be punitive if we, if individual faculty uh, instructors don't want to go back to the classroom on that exact schedule. It should be the norm, but if they've made agreements with their students, if there's a midterm coming up that they've already planned to do remotely or already planned to do in person, right. don't make them change it. Let them decide. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a very difficult situation overall. And we wanted more flexibility. Yeah. yeah. And flexibility in which you, and what that means is not having to go and apply for an exemption, uh, at least uh, for the next, say, two weeks or so. This is a really an uncertain time for everyone. And with uncertainty, I think we have to have uh, a humanistic flexibility. We have to be humane and compassionate for the least of our community so all of us can prosper. In the name of open communication and flexibility, I asked the SBFA board members what they envision in asking for a more transparent COVID-19 response from the university moving forward. Just making some of the meetings open so that we can understand who's making the decisions based on what data. Faculty members pride themselves on research and data and analysis. Right. Why not draw on, on the widest expertise that we can? There clearly wasn't enough consultation the things that we mentioned in our letter were groups who hadn't been consulted, who weren't represented on the COVID task force. So transparency means really opening up and, you know, the COVID task force meets every day. What did they talk about? What were the minutes like? You know, what's going on? And then uh, the Senate last Thursday, or not two days ago, but a week ago, had a, a meeting um, of the faculty legislature in which there was a presentation of a lot of data and that wasn't shared immediately. I don't know, it took a few days for them to actually get the video out. So those of us who weren't at the meeting listening live took some time. And I don't think that video was shared with students. Right. And I don't see why not. Um, we wanna know what our policymakers are actually thinking about and why they're thinking that way and whether they're considering all the things like people with children under five who aren't vaccinated, who can be little COVID spreaders. Um, but they did, you know, after consultation and after yeah. various people pushing back, but we shouldn't have to have to push back. 
uh, we should be, people should be at the table, but. I think there's a big difference between an organization in, in the ivory tower, an academic organization like UCSB and the country at large. So right. when the CDC makes a decision, it affects everyone across the board. Right. We are a community of in higher education, right. students as well as faculty. We are trained to deal with analysis and nuance. That's what we do is you know, taking apart these issues. So not to share with us. So I can understand why at a much larger general public level, uncertainty can be very, very harmful and mandates need to be stricter in policies. Uh, in the university, it might not, or it isn't, in my opinion, as appropriate yeah. um, because we can deal with nuance and we can make our own decisions. And we we are in these positions because we are responsible. Right. So. And I think it's coming uh, on top of Munger Hall uh, just reinforces uh, who's in charge questions. It reinforces questions about transparency and, uh, and undermines trust, and it undermines trust, and we need trust uh, in in a moment like this. If we don't trust leadership, then then that's a real problem when you're trying to uh, navigate uh, uncertainty. I'd say that's a great note to end on because that's in our national conversation. The lack of trust in basic facts and data and information is one of the biggest problems right. facing the United States today and the world, actually. And the yes. The SPFA letter argues that the adjusted approach to allow instructors to remain online if so desired without needing to submit a medical exemption would, quote, support everyone's goal to bring students to in-person classrooms safely and without overwhelming technological and health services. It also gives people who feel they need a formal exception to submit requests in sufficient time for adjudication, end quote. In a statement to KCSB News on Monday, UC Santa Barbara's Shelley Leachman said, quote, UC Santa Barbara's decision to resume in-person instruction today was made based on extensive consultation, including with the Academic Senate and students, and is consistent with the other UC campuses. The message from our campus medical experts last week addresses many of the medical factors that were considered. The Academic Senate communicates directly to instructors regarding the Senate's policies for instruction, which are based on the policies that were in place for the fall quarter. End quote. For more information and to read the SBFA letter, go to ucsbfa.org slash sbfa-covid-protocols-open-letter. Again, that's ucsbfa.org. For KCSB News, I'm Ashley Rush.